This is Deadly Choices Radio, a show dedicated to discussing and educating all health matters and making deadly choices. Health from our mob to our mob, for all our mob. All the latest DC news and events. Good health for all our mob. This is Deadly Choices Radio. That's right, you're tuning in to Deadly Choices Radio. I am Brooke Carson, a proud Cobble Cobble woman from the Western Downs region. First, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are broadcasting and listening from today. I'd like to acknowledge our elders, past, present and emerging. Deadly Choices Radio is all about having the real yarns on all things health matters that matter to our mob. The health focus this week is on Day of Persons with Disability, coming up on December 3rd with NDIS worker Brooke Fletcher. And we're also joined by DC Ambassador Steve Renoff. Welcome to the show, guys, and let's kick it off with Deadly Choices Radio. Today we are putting the spotlight on Deadly Choices NDIS and Day of Persons with Disability. This day aims to promote an understanding of disability issues and mobilise support for the dignity, rights and well-being of persons with disabilities. The theme for this year is innovation and transformative solutions for inclusive development. We'll be talking more about this after this short break. Real life perspectives from our mob to our mob. Hey mob, I'm back with Brooke from NDIS. First, welcome to the show. Who's your mob and where are you from? Uh, I'm an ally currently residing on Gubby Gubby Lands. Awesome. And can you tell us a bit about your role for NDIS? Sure. Um, so I'm the team leader of support coordination team um, for the NDIS at IUE. Um, the support coordination team is pr- fairly much a casework um, management role for people that already have NDIS plans approved and they have the allocated funds for a support coordinator. And what do you love about this role? Um, I love the diversity um, of the role, Um, getting to work alongside MOB, like we're really fortunate to really be on the ground, you know, um, visiting MOB in homes and getting like that whole like system of care wraparound um, service. Yep. And so let's talk about the service as well. So NDIS, what does it offer? Yeah, sure. So the NDIF is pretty broad spectrum depending on um, the person's diagnosis. Um, You can access supports from anything from um, a support worker that could help with community access, transport, getting to appointments, um, right up to like your allied health therapies such as speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, psychology, it's all really related depending on that individual and what their needs are. Yeah, and why is this service so important to our mob? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the NDIS is a really important um, factor in like healthcare in general. Um, we do find that, um, you know, when the NDIS rolled out in uh, that start, I think in Queensland, it was about the start of 2019, there was around like less than 5% of um, mob that were eligible for the NDIS actually accessing um, the the scheme and, you know, getting the funds that they're really eligible for to get that extra support. Um, so we, we just find it's really important. At the end of the day, we recognise it is a government insurance scheme. NDIS stands for National Disability Insurance Scheme. Um, It doesn't sound that deadly. It's not very appealing. So it's really important for us to play that middleman to, you know, kind of like sit between 
that government yucky framework and really kind of um, mediate that language to help mob understand that they they could be getting a lot more support that they're really you know deserving of for to be able to have equal opportunities day to day. And you touched on eligibility there as well. What makes someone eligible for this service? Yeah, uh, so it's anyone from um, the age of zero to 65 um, that has a lifelong diagnosis. Um, it, it can be all really dependent on that supporting documentation and assessments and reports that you get um, related to the diagnosis. Um, the NDIS like to see that you've exhausted I guess your mainstream health um, systems, like you know your therapies through Medicare and um, the other services. Um, but anyone that has a lifelong diagnosis from the age of zero to sixty-five. And I think to help mob understand as well, what is a lifelong diagnosis, or what are examples of these? Yeah, sure. So. Um, from the age of zero to seven, any uh, child that may have had an indication of a development delay, so they don't necessarily need a diagnosis, but the you know the teacher or the kindy or the GP might just kind of raise um, there is some you know kind of indication to a development delay. They would be eligible for um, an NDIS plan, and then up from the age of seven. Um, to 65. A, a general diagnosis would be something along the lines of, um, say, ASD on the spectrum, um, cerebral palsy, it could be a physical disability. It's just a diagnosis that is determined to impact that individual's day-to-day -day, um, life. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's so important for Mob to know as well, because there, like you said, there'll be so many that aren't aware of the service and um, that can be and have this help, but they just, they don't know. Um, so it's so important to bring awareness to the service. So we talked about el eligibility. How can Mob access it? Yeah, sure. And just like you were saying in the awareness with Mob actually just come to mind. Um, my understanding is that there's actually no word in native tongue for disability. And I think that's where there can be a little bit of a, a lack of awareness, you know, for mob as well, because um, they, they don't generally see the disability as an impairment. And that's what we work in that space as well, is that we work with our mob that they understand that it's not a deficit. It's just, you know, a part of their identity it's like you know a different personality or having brown hair it's just a part of like who you are and it means that we need a little bit more dynamic support um so in regards to uh, how to access ndis at iue we do have um a great team that assist um mob in the application process to get ndis uh, so that's for the access team. Um, they work alongside the families or the individual in gathering that like supporting documentation. So it might be like report from um, the GP or a psychologist or an OT. Um, there's different assessments that they can get as well. They'll gather all that documentation that's required for the application, um, work alongside the individual and the family to fill out the application and actually assist them in submitting that to the NDI. Yes. Uh, the next part of that journey is once a plan has been approved, if um, 
The support coordination is also approved in that plan. That's where it'll get passed on to my team. And when we actually assist the um, families and the participants to really understand the plan, because it is very confusing. It's written like an insurance policy. (laughs) It's a lot of jargon that doesn't make a lot of sense. So we really help break that down, um, bring some understanding. We will help, um, you know, really utilise the funding and make sure that they get the most out of that funding and um, also assist with supporting them, making some really informed decisions about um, what supports they want to access and, you know, and we will coordinate those referrals and stuff as well. Uh, IUE is also moving into the delivery service space. So we've just started uh, the allied health side of things, which includes um, OT and speech, and we'll be in the next year or so moving into the more support work and mentor groups and doing a lot more of that service delivery because there's a big gap in that um, NDIS market for mob to access, you know, culturally safe services at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And it's another thing that's so important. And I want to go back to as well what you said about it being a part of identity and not being what you are or you know, it's, there's a stigma around it. And we had a good chat earlier about the word disability. Can you elaborate on that as well? And that stigma? Yeah, sure. You know, I, I feel, um, you know, the sector working alongside people with disabilities has come a long way in the last 10 years. There's always been a lot of stigma around like the word itself. I don't like using the word disability. You'll hear often I'll try and say diagnosis or I'll try, you know, use a more kind of strength-based language because when you break down the word disability, it is like dis ability. Yeah. Um, like there's an impact to someone's ability. And that's not, you know, what we see in, in a lot of our work, we actually see that people with um, diagnosis of, you know, especially kids with autism, like they have great perception to the world. You know, they use so many different kind of um, communication tools to be able to communicate and body language and everything with that we miss in a day-to-day life. And same with someone with a physical um, disability as well. Just the, the way that they interact with, you know, the world and the land and everything, it's, it's kind of really dynamic to what, what we would do on a day-to-day. So, um, yeah, I just think that we've got a bit of work to move. And even for myself, it's a lifelong journey. I'm still thinking every day about the language I use and how I interact, you know, um, alongside people with disability. And I think as a society, we've, got a, we've still got a quite a long way to go to make um, people with disability feel like that we're not just focused on that part of their identity. It's such a small part to, you know, that person's identity, their ecosystem, their family system, everything. And when you're working alongside, you know, people with disabilities, you actually see that it's not something they even recognise on a day-to-day basis. It's just a part of their day. And that's how we should see it as workers and as a society. Um... And even with the NDIS, it can be really tricky because they're only focused on the disability. So that's the beauty about coming through IUE. It's not how we work in the NDIS, um, you know, framework. We really, we really work with that individual holistically, with their whole social health well-being, with the family system, and how they fit into the rest of the system of care through IUE. 
Yeah, and I think it's important as well, and I was going to ask, I'm so glad you touched on it, but the words to say other than disability as well, I think it's so important for society to know that there are other words to use because I think people get stuck on, well, then what do I say? Yeah. Um, so I think it's so important to put that out there. And also you just touched on it there, but the support for families and individuals, what do you guys do around that? Yeah, sure. So um, again, the NDIS as the name says, it's, you know, um, it's based on the individual support. Um, they set it up really just around the individual. But at IUE, we obviously recognise that we work with the family as a whole. And what that might look like is, yes, we'll focus on the individual with their NDIS plan um, and how it best can support that individual within the family, but we make sure that the family have a good wraparound support. So we, when we do our home visits, if we see, you know, um, that they may need assistance with transport or um, they want to be linked in with the family wellbeing team or they want some more information around deadly choices or anything even that's out external to IUE or in the mainstream, we make sure that we really coordinate all those supports, not just the disability specific supports. And that might look like you know, checking in with the um, rest of the care team to see what they can offer to make sure the family is getting really well supported with a, like a whole wraparound support within the system of care rather than just focusing on the OT and the speech and what's included in the yeah. plan. Yeah. yeah, and I think, again, that one's so important to have the whole family aware, the social network too, and how they can support from home as well when an NDIS worker isn't there too and how they can work with their individual and understand them better as well. Because I see a lot of it with diagnosis. I kind of understand it in a way that people just see the world differently. It's a different way of seeing the world, different way of operating it and everything like that. So I think that's so important that their network is aware of that and it's not a negative thing. I see it more as a positive thing that this is just someone who sees the world differently. Exactly. You raise a really good point there, Brooke, you know, and I think that is what's lacking and where the NDIS, it's not a very holistic approach at all. And it is like, you know, tricky for families where there's not a lot of information. A diagnosis can be a real shock to families and they don't have all the information around what that means for the individual. How do you support that? And the NDIS don't openly really provide a lot of that support. So that's where we try to, you know, make sure that um, the parents are linked into some even just, there's a lot of like um, workshops and kind of support groups and uh, just getting that real information around what the diagnosis is, how, how can we care for you know, the family member that has received the diagnosis because it is alternative care and it can be hard for families when, you know, particularly if it means that there could be some like heightened behaviours in the home and stuff. And I guess traditionally, and that's where like some of the stigma has come in, particularly for some of the, you know, cognitive disabilities or um, the um, behavioural disabilities. There's been a real stigma, especially for kids in the past. And they were really just seen as naughty kids. And this is good and this is bad. It wasn't really seen as 
this is just a different way in how they see the world and, you know, actually might be really just overstimulated by the lighting, by the noise, and that's their response to that situation. So it is really important and we really do try that, especially in the support coordination space, to make sure that, you know, the whole family are linked in to get some of that information around what what's happening, you know, for that person with the diagnosis, but also being very mindful in, you know, their day-to-day and the impact on their care as well. Well, thank you, Brett. I think what you shared today is so important and it's so important for our whole mob to know, our community to know, and also breaking down those stigmas. Um, Is there anything before we go that you'd like to share? I think um, just, I guess, the contact details, if anyone actually wants to reach out to IUE for anything NDIS related, we should have a team, a coordinator, a worker in place that will be able to assist any inquiry. Um, doesn't matter what point in the journey you are, whether it's, you know, you're looking to get an NDIS plan, you're not sure you have one and you don't know what to do. So the number to call is one 317 378. Um, I personally, because I can never remember the number, if you just Google IUIHNDIS1800, you'll get the contact details that way and your call will be redirected to the right team member. Awesome. Do you have a deadly choice before we let you go? Um, you know, I, I think it's really getting to your 715 health checks. Uh, to be honest, that's where a lot of uh, the identification of who needs a NDIS plan will come along and that's where we get our referrals as well. So yeah, get to your head health checks. And that's a deadly choice. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brooke. Your DC clinics. From the tip of the Torres Strait to the border of the Bundjalung people in Coolangatta. Welcome back to DC Radio. With me today is Deadly Choices Ambassador Steve Renoff. What's your role at Deadly Choices? Yeah, so, um, Brooke, I've been with Deadly Choices and thanks for having me on again. Um, you know, we're ambassador for Deadly Choices and um, and been working with IU since we started, um, you know, way back whenever that was, 2009 or 2010. And, <laughs> long time ago. Uh, yeah, now. a long time ago. So, yeah, so I've been obviously in the organisation for that long and uh, love all the work that we do. Yeah, and what have you been up to since we caught up last time? Wasn't it too long ago? Yeah, no, I think from from our point of view with, with, uh, de- you know, with Deadly Choices, uh, you know, we were doing... A lot of different uh, work around the place, a bit of planning uh, for, for next year. Um, obviously with Rugby League, which we'll talk about soon, but um, you're coming to an end. We, we slow down a bit towards the end of the year, but uh, we still got a lot of things up. We had the uh, the Touch Day, Deadly Choices Touch yeah, Day. Yeah, the Touch Carnival. And how good was that? Um, you know, we were out there for, a, uh, for you know, I was out there for the morning um, and, you know, till about lunchtime and it was just a great day. Um, and I go there and I think my family, my nieces, they had like, th- they put three teams in. and uh, oh, that's from, awesome. Yeah, from <laughs> the sunny, well, generally from the sunny coast. So it was just great. When you go to our events, it, it's around, you, you get to see your mob uh, that you don't see every week yeah, or every like day. Yeah, it's like the family reunion half the time at those yeah, events, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And it, it, it's such a great day. And I, I think that touch day has a really good place with our mob. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get back onto that later. I don't think we did this last time. So can you give us a brief summary of your career? My career? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Take us back. Yeah. Well, I'm now 52, but I first came to Brisbane when I was straight out of high school. Uh, I graduated in 1987 um, out of Mergen High, the mighty Mergen High. And, um, you know, I got the opportunity, uh, the Brisbane Broncos 
first started in 1988. Um, that was the first year they they uh, you know they developed, and um, I got signed on from high school um, when I was 17, um, and came to Brisbane. Um, went to come down here, and part of my contract was uh, I had an apprenticeship at the Mart Hospital, um, and I completed that along the way. Um, you know, so for me. And then I sort of set myself up pretty early with, with rugby league. Um, well, we were very lucky. We had a good team. And um, so, you know, I debuted, uh, you know, when I was 18 uh, for the Broncos. And, and then really it's, it's like everything just progressed from there. So I was very, very fortunate um, that we had the players and obviously our coaching staff and Wayne Bennett um, and, and support from the whole club, like even our CEO, John Reeb at the time, you know. So it, it was just one of those things um, I was – Sometimes, you know, you're in the right place at the right time and I was fortunate enough to be there when we started and, look, I went through and, um, you know, with the Brisbane, you know, we won four grand finals in the 90s, so I was part of them, 92, 93, 97, 98. And, and along the way, which is obviously something that's, that goes along with being successful as a, as a rugby league club, uh, is I got the opportunity to play Origin and I got the opportunity to play for my country. So, you know, for me, I was very, very fortunate. Um, you know, my career sort of went from 1988 through to 2001, you know, and uh, so I was fortunate I finished in England in 2000, 2001 um, and had a great time over there. Um, you know, my, my youngest boy, Freddie, uh, we found him over there. We keep saying we found him <laughs> over there 21 years ago. He's 21 this year, Fred. Picked him up. Yeah, picked him up. But, it, yeah, he was born over there. So, and you know, it was just, it was just a great time uh, and a great way to end my career. Yeah, pretty amazing career. And uh, you're still the top leading try scorer for the Broncos? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, Corey Oates, Oates he's might be, creeping. He's, he's creeping <laughs> closer and closer. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, and it, it just showed the team we had. And I, I always, always, I say that, that I was just on the end of some great players like, you know, Alfie Langer and, and, and obviously Kevin Walters and I had a bit of a thing that we, you know, we, we had a good partnership at every level, you know, from Brisbane to Queensland to Australia and um, and so I was very, very fortunate they had those players around me and I really I, I finished off a, a lot of great plays um, with the try and, um, you know, Mickey Hancock, who was my winger, he, he's, he's filthy on me because I got the record <laughs> and he, he said if I wasn't there, he'd probably have it as well. So that's okay, Mick. <laughs> that's okay. Well, on Rugby League, my favourite topic, we'll go yes. to the World Cup finals. So I told you about Tyrone. We love Tyrone, <laughs> but he did not know. He had not watched the World Cup final. But I know you have. Australia versus Samoa. Uh, How did you like it? Oh, it was awesome. You know, and, and firstly, can we say, you know, congratulations to Samoa. I mean, they didn't yeah. win the World Cup, but they made the final. And that's massive. In the rugby league world, that that's huge. Um, yeah, you know, definitely. for uh, one of the Pacific Islands to to make the final, and they they played some good rugby league. And but from Australia's point of view, for me, it was really much. Um, and you know, obviously, they didn't get. They played New Zealand in the semis. Um, Australia didn't, so they were never going to meet in the final. Um, which I thought um, that would have been probably. Better, yeah, and that's, that's no disrespect to Samoa. Yeah. Um, but Samoa did so well, you know, they beat England. England, I think England, and being the host country of the World Cup, thought that they were, I think they thought they were going to go through. But I think so. And because they beat Samoa initially 60 yes. something nil, I think they had that confidence of going through. Yeah, exactly. And, and Samoa caught them totally off guard. Yeah. And 
gee, some good players in that team, you know, and you know the big Penrith connection. Yeah. And, but so you know, Jerome Luai, you say what you want about him, and you know, and he, he puts a lot of people offside with his antics, but. He can play rugby league. Yeah. Uh, we, we just got to all admit that he can play the game. And, um, you know, he directed that team around for the for the whole the whole carnival or what, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, I, th- I think Australia were always – they're always red-hot favourites. When you've when you got your players like Rottrell Mitchell and Tedesco and, look, they, they starred in that final. They scored two tries, I think, each yeah. um, in, in that game. And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got to mention Josh Adokar had a massive – Tournament, um, you know, on the and he, he finished it off well as you know as well. So, but I just look at the the team that played and Liam Martin. He, he was our he was probably he'd have to have got player of the tournament, you know, from Australia's point of view. Um, I thought he was great, and you know, we we just across the board great balanced team. Yeah, I think so, and I think having Adokar and Luttrell as well, the representation was pretty awesome to see, and they had the flag with them, yeah. and with the Gillaroos after, they had a group photo, which was pretty awesome to see, but the Gillaroos too, oh. they beat New Zealand. Well, they smashed New <laughs> they Zealand, smashed to be New honest. Zealand, yeah. um, I, I thought the between the, the Gillaroos and, and, and the, the, the female uh, Kiwi team, that I thought they were a lot closer, but... Australia just came out and just blew them off the park. Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, I, th- I thought it would be a lot closer. Um, but, yeah, geez, we got some talent that in the Gillaroos. And I think it's Robinson, uh, the centre. Uh, I think she's only 19 or 20. Yeah, there's and, some young girls Oh, just smack. I watched her in, in other games and just a great athlete, you know. Yeah. And um, But they got some really good players. Yeah, it was awesome to see. So what a weekend that would have been for Australia. I know they would oh. have been celebrating, I think, both teams. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also Samoa in defeat as well. I thought they were just awesome. And the support too. I know oh. there was a parade in Brisbane. Yeah, look, John March or- yeah the, the celebration across, you know, Australia for the Samoan community and, and uh, I mean I think down Logan they had a big get yeah. together and, and you know and I think that's great um, you know and everyone was welcome um, and I, to, I just think that for rugby league and for the Samoan community um, that was such a great even though they didn't win they made the final and that's huge yeah and it's they huge. celebrated it too which I thought was awesome and I know Taryn mentioned last week the flags were sold out Samoan flags and I'm still seeing yeah. them around my neighbourhood and oh, stuff yeah. it's just awesome to see yeah it is and they got every right to celebrate because you know you make a World Cup final in rugby league that's it's huge and I keep yeah. saying that but it is it's um so you know good luck to them and that'll just keep rolling on and you know hopefully too that's another thing so um, those boys now, there was a decision made that they're not a tier one group, so they, they can play Origin still. Um, so that's great. You know, Toho yeah. and um, uh, Luai, you know, in the New South Wales team, because there was a threat because they made the final that they'll go to the next tier, which means they couldn't play Origin, but that just didn't make sense. So. Yeah, because if they did that decision now, then would they not be able to play for the Blues? Was that... Yeah, the- yeah. So, and and there's so many yeah, different things around that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I struggle. <laughs> I struggle <laughs> to understand the origin eligibility. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty simple with it. But, um, yeah, so with the with the countries like that who second tier, but they're, they're not going up to the top tier, yeah. like, you know, Australia and New Zealand and, and England. So um, that's great. It means I yeah. think it makes them all eligible 
for Origin. And it'll, yeah, keep our Origin very entertaining to oh, have definitely. you guys. And Def- they'll be out for revenge after this, yeah. after this oh, series yeah. too. Well, I, uh, I was at the uh, the sport, Queensland Sports Awards um, during the week, and um, or last week, sorry. And, you know, the Origin team got the team of the year, you know, oh, and, awesome. uh, for their win in that in that final game. Yeah, I think they deserved that. That was an awesome game oh. as well, and they played amazing. I think to come back as well, we like yep. being the underdogs, but I thought oh. that was just an awesome game. Yeah, you know, they won the first one. They went to – Perth is not a really good hunting ground <laughs> for, for us, unfortunately, um, and we got walloped over there, but they came back and just, uh, you know, I was, at, I was at that game and it was just – a really good spectacle. Yeah, definitely. And I think we'll go back to the Jillaroo's side as well and having Talisha Harden. We touched on yes, her last yeah. time. But I think it's so good to see her and win the oh. um, cup as well. Like how awesome to yeah, have an ambassador there. Uh, yeah, you know, have Talisha there and she flies the flag. You know, she, you know, she reminds me, she, oh, she, I don't know if she likes me saying this, but um, <laughs> she's, she reminds me of uh, uh, like the female Petro Sivanasiva. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she just does her work, you know, and, yeah. and she does it so well and uh, she's tough as nails. And, and the kindest too, and, like and that, Pedro. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, gentle, you know, I shouldn't yeah. say gentle guys, but gentle, uh, just beautiful people. Yeah. And But they go out there and they, they give 100% and she, she does it week in, week out, you know, when she was obviously with the Broncos and state level and, you know, she she's become a real, you know, uh, warrior in, in, within the, the female game. And like you said, you played for Australia to mm. yourself. What did it mean to you and how can you see that in the players today as well? Yeah, you know, I, I was fortunate enough, Brooke, in 92, um, I went on the World Cup um, and it was a different concept back then. So it was over an 18-month period where you play against your countries, different countries, you know, France and, um, uh, sorry, New Zealand and England. And then whoever were the top rating two at the end of the 18-month period, I think it was, they came together in the World Cup final. It was just a one-off match. Um, so we got we obviously Australia uh, and Great Britain played off in '92. So here I was as 22 and I, I debuted at the old Wembley Stadium um, <laughs> in England, and it was amazing. You know, we had three weeks over there, and um, I, I thought I was just uh, over there to have a good time because I was I was the third string centre to be honest, because Mel Meningo obviously was a captain, and Chris Johns was my senior at the Broncos, so they. Those two centres got picked, and I thought, oh, I'm just here filling in the numbers, you know. So I was out there having a good good time for a couple of weeks, and then then come uh, team uh, you know, announcement for the for the actual final, uh, I got selected. I was like, wow, <laughs> 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 I'm already going to play in the World Cup final, and you know, we and we did well. It was a really tough game, ten six. Um, you know, it was really tight. What we were all sort of going, oh, yeah, you get that point in the game, and you go, well, we don't want to be, you know, the first strained him in a long, long time to get beaten, and especially in the final. Um, so I was fortunate enough, and then Kevy came on and um, changed things around, and we did our little outball um, <laughs> little thing that I didn't really want to do uh, during the really game. <laughs> I was sort of going, no, Kevy, not yet, not yet. Um, but he forced me into it, and, and that just shows, you know, the connection we had. And I saw him coming across the ruck, and I thought, we knew what we had to do. Yeah. Um, he put the ball in the right place, and I just had to get there. Wow, that's awesome. And on Kevy to the Broncos, what are you thinking for next year? Yeah, look, I, look, I, I'd say to everyone, I, I've been asked this question a lot of late, um, and it's well, they actually had a really good year, to be honest, compared yeah. to where they were. And we I, look terrible end with you know the the last six games, and you know we capitulated a bit, um, but 
all in all, you know, we finished better than we have, you know, the last few wooden spooners in one yeah. <laughs> So the thing is, they, they won, you know, games uh, during the year that, and they played some really good rugby league. And, you know, I've got to mention Selwyn Cobbo. What a, what a breakout year for, for him. Yeah, he's such a talent. You know, he, he turned 20 the, the week he got selected uh, in the Origin team. He was only 19 when he got selected, but he turned Crazy. 20 that week. Um, prior to the first game and, and, you know, he had a great year. I, th- I think people got to get excited about the Broncos because they're on the way up again um, and sh- last year showed that and even the year before how they finished the season. So it's only going to get better. Um, a lot of people are heavy on Kevy and, you know, there's been a few changes around the place but um, that, yeah, that's okay, that's rugby league. But I'll let people know that we got a really good young team that are going to be even better for it next year. Yeah, definitely. And we've got Reese Walsh now. Yes. Um, Selwyn, Katoni. We've got some, got some pretty, good yeah. Strike power. Some uh, young talent there. You know what I mean? And that's what we need. And, um, you know, we, I, I think we got a good mix. And as I said, Adam Reynolds coming in made a, he, it was a big shift when he came into the team last year. And the boys really enjoyed him having him around and playing with him. So, uh, I'm looking forward to the next season. Yeah, me too. And I think we have to talk about the Dolphins too coming yeah. next season, 2023. Yes. Where, what are you thinking with the Dolphins? Oh, look, and look, I think they're going and they've come on board as a deadly choices. Um, you know, yeah, our partner, new partner. partner. New partner, and awesome, that, that's yeah. great, you know, and the work that will be done there. And it, it's like it's like when we first signed with Brisbane Broncos back Back in the day, you know, and I think it was about 2013. I think it was, no, it might even Maybe. be really. Yeah, and, yeah, and um, you know, so it's good to come in on, on the ground level with the Dolphins. And I, I just think that um, they, you know, they, they'll, they, you know, they're very different to the way Brisbane started with player-wise and, and whatever, but they're still going to be competitive and they'll only get better. Yeah, and I think, too, a lot of people don't realise, like, they do have a pretty solid team, yeah. like their forward pack. Yeah, they got some the storm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. So they've got some really good players, and and as you say, um, you know, ex Storm players, and they come from a coach like Craig Bellamy, Wayne. Well, they say they're similar, but they're not. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think Bell's a, um, you know, spent a bit of time at Brisbane when we were there, and he he obviously got a lot off Wayne Bennett. Um, but yeah, these boys are coming there. They're disciplined. They know what. They know what it means to win, and that, that's a big thing. And if you if you haven't been in a club um, that was used to winning, it, it's something. It's nearly like you learn to win. You, so these boys come with that. So that's that's a positive for them. Yeah, I think so. I think they're definitely going to be a team to watch next yeah. year. I'm here talking to the Pearl. Stay listening and we'll get an update on Deadly Choices events coming up after this short break. Real life perspectives from our mob. Welcome back to Deadly Choices Radio. Let's talk DC events. Steve, how's the Touch Carnival? We touched on it earlier. Yeah, look, as we said, um, Brooke, you know, it's such a great day and, you know, I know the ambassadors enjoy going out there and just mixing it with the community and, um, you know, once again, it was well represented by by the community from, you know, not just from Brizzy, but from... You know, from out all around over, the, all yeah. over, and I, I thought it, it is a it's a great day. It is a great day, and I think all the uniforms I saw too, they yeah. were a highlight for me. I yeah. think seeing them, and you could see the DC shirts being converted into touch uniforms, which I thought was really cool. Um, but how are you involved in the day? Yeah, in the day, so we we just go along, and it's just around community engagement, and it's just talking to to our mob, uh, you know, and. and uh, they they love having the ambassadors around, so you know it's good. You know, Tyrone and 
um, Willie uh, Tonga, you know, we were there, um, you know, getting around and it, it was just around. And it, it's one of those days for us where it's just a, a casual time that you just get out there and you chat and um, and connect with the community. Yeah, it is so important, I think, for our mob. But you have another event coming up. Do you yeah, want to tell us a bit about yeah, that one? the Senior Games, um, the IUE Shield, uh, which is on the 9th, 9th of December. And that's down at uh, Mount Warren Sports Centre. So that's uh, Milne Street, you know, um, in Mount Warren Park. Um, so... Yeah, that that's awesome, and you know, I think most of the teams are, are registered. Um, but yeah, but if you know, just to let everyone know, remind them if you're not. Um, yeah, get onto it. Get onto it. Yeah. And, and I heard it's pretty competitive. Oh, it is. <laughs> the seniors' games. It, it's probably uh, from an ambassador point of view, and I talked to the other boys about it. It's it's, it's one of our favorite. It's if not the favorite um, events that we get to go to are the Indigenous Games, because we, we get to see all the elders and. And it's 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 really sentimental to me because I get to I meet a lot of the elders who knew my mum and yeah. um, like that and that, that's what's so good about it and and you get to see um, you know you know your your mom that you haven't seen for a while yeah it's um, a connection it is it, it's it's a great day and a, um, you know and you know you got to shout out to Dusty uh, you <laughs> know obviously uh, you know he's still involved and uh, you know we DC give him really good support these days around because it's such a big event yeah it's huge it's huge isn't it's it huge. It, it's um so for us that that's awesome and uh, you know we we sort of look forward uh, to those events every, you know, every year, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. So for all Deadly Choices events, head online and check out how you can get involved. Uh, thank you for yarning with us today, Steve. But before you go, what is your Deadly Choice? My Deadly Choice? Uh, <laughs> look, I, and look I've, I've been trying to, Brooke, and you'll, be, you'll appreciate this, yep. running into Christmas, we all like to eat food. So I'm trying to train just to <laughs> the way down prior so I can, so eat, a, can eat a little <laughs> bit more over Christmas and that's that's creeping yeah. up on us. So, But that's a good balance. Yeah, that's it is. And, and, and you've got to do that. And, um, you know, so I don't yeah. run these days. I walk. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so I do a little bit. So, yeah, just, just trying to, um, you know, Shed a few of the kilos uh, prior to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm getting ready for that too. It's going to creep up so soon. Oh, I know. It's only a few weeks. Really I know. Right you now. keep going. We're going, wow. Yeah, you it's know, December. December, you know, my, Friday. my son, Samuel, on the 3rd, I think that's that. Sadie turns 30. 30. On the 3rd of December. So um, big shout out to him. And, you know, the, I can't believe I've got a 30 year old. But anyway, yeah. that's what happens. <laughs> That's what happens. Well, thank you for catching up with me today and we'll catch you next time. No worries. Thanks, Brooke. You mob, just a weekly reminder to stay safe. COVID-19 has not gone away. As we know, keep up with your vaccinations and get tested if you're feeling unwell. Thank you so much for tuning into Deadly Choices Radio today where we put the spotlight on Day of Persons with Disability, December 3rd. Um, don't forget, Deadly Choices is all about eating healthy, exercising, checking in on our mob and leading healthy lifestyles for generations to come. I'm your host, Brooke Carson, and I look forward to next week to when we'll be yarning with the iHealth mob. Thanks for tuning in, you mob. Deadly Choices Radio. A show encouraging mob to make healthy choices from stop smoking, eating good food, exercising daily and getting a health check for themselves and their family. Featuring Deadly Choices ambassadors, the healthy lifestyle mob and many more. So tune in to Deadly Choices after 6pm each Wednesday and on demand on AAA Murray Country. Go, go, go.